Well, hey everyone, thanks for checking out this message from Journey Church. These resources are so awesome to have when you're out in nature like we are and you gotta go be outside on these nice days. However, we want you to know that there is nothing better than true fellowship with believers and live worship with your fellow Christians. So be sure to use this message only in conjunction with getting fed in a community of believers. Hey, we also want you to get connected with us, so be sure to text the word CONNECT to 307-271-9160 so that you can stay in the loop with everything happening at Journey Church and get notifications about upcoming events. Hey, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you as you continue this life on your walk with Jesus. Welcome to church. It's just good to be together, worshiping together. There's something so vital about meeting together in public worship, in corporate worship, about joining together. Uh, you've been able to hear the band as they've led us in that time of worshiping through song. And now we want to worship God through the opening of his word. So if you have a Bible with you, turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 20 for our study this morning. We have been spending several weeks where we have been going through what was called the 10 great words for life, where we looked at the commandments that God gave. These 10 commandments that he gave were more than just a list of rules and laws and regulations. The 10 commandments were really all about the heart. It was about the heart of humanity. And today, we are continuing that thought about the heart by looking at how the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. And we're using Ephesians chapter three to understand how the Holy Spirit works in the heart of humanity because it's all about the heart. So if you have a Bible, in Ephesians chapter three, we're gonna read through this. So read through this with me as we go through it or follow along on the screen if you'd like to follow that way. Here's what the word of God says. Paul's writing some words to the church in Ephesus and he says this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, if you were with us last week, you'll understand what that reason was. For this reason. What is the reason that Paul had been talking about? That was the grace of God. What is grace? That is God's unmerited favor. It's his kindness, his love, his forgiveness, and his mercy poured out to undeserving, unearning people. That's what the grace of God is. For this reason, because of the grace of God, I bow my knees before the Father. I bow my knees is a sign of worship, it's a sign of reverence, and it's a sign of submission. Do you know that the Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord? You'll have a couple of choices there. You will either bow willingly or you will be forced into submission before God. I pray for you and I pray for all of us that we are those who come before God purposefully bowing our knees, that we are submitting our lives to his kingship and his authority. So Paul says, because of grace, I submit my life to him as king and Lord of my life. I hope that you can say the same thing. He goes on to say this, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, meaning that all of creation finds their existence in him. We all find our meaning and our purpose and our connection with God. Every family draws its name from God. So because of grace, 
I submit my life to him as king because he is the center of all, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That is what God is after. He wants to strengthen you from the inside out. He is not looking to make you just a strong physical specimen. He is wanting to get to your heart. Strengthen your heart because in the heart is where you will learn how to persevere. It's where you will learn how to have character. It's who you are becoming. God cares more about your heart than he does anything else in life. Where is your heart? Is your heart right with him? He wants to strengthen you in your heart through his spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now what we learned last week from this was the indwelling spirit in our lives. And that was the picture of of our hearts being like a home. You have a home. Your heart is like a home. And you have this house that you are in control of until Jesus shows up at the door and he knocks on the door of your heart. He knocks on the door of your home. And when you see Jesus knocking on the door of your heart, you have some choices. You could say, no, thank you. Go away. You could pretend like you're not home. Or you could open up the door and say, Jesus, come in. I've been waiting for you. I have been hoping to meet you. Come into my heart. Come into my life. When he comes into your life, he is a guest in your house. He's a guest in your heart. But God is not content staying in the guest role. At some point, he says to you, let me have it all. Let me own it all. Would you sign the title and sign the deed of your heart, of your house over to me? And when we do that, when we fully surrender that to him, when we fully come to the point where Jesus, I want you to own the house and I just want to live here, you own it, he begins to do incredible change in our lives. We start to see some incredible results like this incomprehensible love that we begin to experience, this incredible fullness that we have been seeking after and this internal power that he gives us to be able to live life. So he says that the Holy Spirit strengthens you in your inner being and that Christ will dwell in your hearts, take up permanent resonance, permanent settlement through faith. Let's keep going. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray as we begin. Father, help us to hear from you. I am completely inadequate to be able to share your word about the kind of love that you have for us. Lord, I pray that you would just use this time to get a hold of us. Speak to our hearts, Lord, and help us to try to wrap our brains around something that is so incredible, so incomprehensible. Help us to, Lord, understand it from the depths of our soul. Help it to be so overwhelming that it changes us completely. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us and that you would speak to us again by the power of your Holy Spirit that lives within us. Thank you for this time, Lord. We surrender this time to you and we ask you to be our teacher. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. 
<clears throat> my wife and I have been married a little over 30 years, well, actually 31 years now. I know the first thought you have in your mind is, how could that be possible? You don't look very old. You're uh, way younger than that. I know you're thinking that right away. Um, <clears throat> and I like the little laugh of the child there. That was good. <laughs> but we've been married over 31 years, and... Um, at the very beginning of our marriage, I told Jennifer a dream that I had had since childhood, and that dream was I wanted to get my pilot's license. I wanted to become a pilot. And she says she has, since the time we got married, just, just stepped on that dream. And she has basically said, absolutely not. There is no way. Number one, she's fearful of that happening. And number two, it's expensive, and we can't afford that. You can't be doing that. So that was the excuse. Every year, without fail, multiple times a year, I have said to her, I really want to become a pilot. I'd really like to get that pilot's license. Would you please consent to me doing that every year? Without fail, she has said, no, absolutely not. Uh, don't even bring it up again. This past spring, I brought it up again, as I do all the time, without fail. This past spring, she shocked me when she said to me these words, fine, do whatever you want to do. That was her words. Now, I took that as yes. That's what I took that as. She didn't exactly say yes, but she didn't say no. So I dove full, forward, uh, full forward, full force into that dream of wanting to get it. Now, yes, it takes a lot of time. It is, it is not only time consuming, but it's expensive to do. So it's going to be a drawn out process. But I started doing that in the spring, started doing flight lessons. And I've got uh, 25, 26 hours into that process now. So I'm working my way there and I'm excited about being able to do that. It may not happen as quickly as I had hoped it would, but, you know, maybe over the next few years, I'll get everything accomplished that I'd like to get accomplished with it. It's exciting. One of the cool things is when you're flying, and some of you are already pilots, so you already know this, but one of the cool things is the landing process, which is a difficult process, and I'm not very good at the landing process, but I haven't died, so that's a good sign. I have, I, you know, any landing you walk away from is a good landing. But when you're coming into land, there is an indicator on the runway, on most runways, on several of the runways, and it's an indicator that's a lighting system. There's four lights that are lit up, and it's called the PAPI system. PAPI is an acronym that stands for a, a Precision Approach Path Indicator. Now, these lights, these four lights, will light up if you're on the correct glide slope. So as you're coming in to land, there is a series of four lights. If the two left ones are white and the two right ones are red, you are on the correct glide slope. If you are too high, you're going to see three or four white lights. If you're too low, you're going to see three or four red lights, and red means dead. You don't want that to happen. You want to be lined up so that it's too white and too red. And if you are, you know you're on the correct glide slope. In the same way, the Holy Spirit in our lives becomes the glide slope indicator to help you know if you are lined up where you need to be. 
The Holy Spirit works as a counselor. He works as an encourager. He works as a convictor. He works as a guide in our lives to help us know, am I lined up according to God's will exactly like I need to be coming in at the correct glide slope? Not too high, not too low, right where God wants me to be. The Holy Spirit is amazing in our lives, and we need the indwelling Holy Spirit within us to do multiple things, but one of those things is to really direct our lives according to the will of God where we need to be, and we need to be paying attention. Am I where you want me to be, God? Am I coming in at the right angle, or am I way, way off course? Some of us are flying in completely the wrong direction. We're trying to land upside down uh, on the runway because we're not listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying. The Holy Spirit wants to bring direction to us, and that happens when I'm finally surrendered to him. When I finally say, you have the whole deed, the whole house is yours, I am living here, but it is you. It's what I have mentioned many times before, Galatians 2.20, where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. Paul was consumed with Christ living in him, the spirit living in me, and the spirit owning it all, and me bowing my knees to him, and me receiving the grace of God, and that's what helps me to live out the life that God has called me to live. Not my own way, not my own plan, but am I following exactly where you want me me to be, Lord? Today, we're gonna continue that thought of surrender, and it's one of the things that happens when the Holy Spirit really works within us, and that is that we start to experience this incomprehensible love. So last week we talked about inner strengthening, we talked about indwelling spirit, and today we're going to talk about the incomprehensible love. And we'll talk next week about internal power, or I'm sorry, uh, the yeah, internal power and this infinite fullness that we have when the Holy Spirit is within us. This incomprehensible love, this thing that happens as a result of God working in me. I start to experience a love that I have never experienced before. Never in my life have I understood until I finally surrendered to the Lord what real love looks like, means, and feels like in my life. Did you know that love is one of those things that people desperately are seeking after and need? In fact, there are six core needs that people have in life that they are seeking after, even subconsciously seeking after. Number one, people are looking for love. People want to feel loved. They want to feel accepted. And they're not looking for conditional love. They're looking for unconditional love. Unconditional love is this kind of love. It's the love that says, I will love you even when you don't deserve it. I will love you even when you mess up. I will love you and I will never turn my back on you. I have your best interest at heart. And that's the kind of love, by the way, that really makes marriage great because you have two people who say, I will love you despite of you. You know, in spite of you, I will still love you. And we need that kind of love. People are also looking to be worthwhile. They want to feel worthwhile and significant in life. And we're all looking for that. We want to feel worth and significance. People are looking to be content and at peace and find true contentment in life. People are looking for purpose. Why am I here? Why was I born? Why do I matter? What is my purpose in life? People are looking for belonging. Where can I fit in? 
What group do I belong to? Where, where is my place in this world? People are looking for hope. Hope is the ability to look beyond, anticipate, and expectation of something more. There has to be something more. Now, if you don't have these needs met, do you know how you're going to feel? You're going to feel unlovable, worthless, discontent, purposeless, lonely, and hopeless. And I believe that those six words describe the majority of society today. A society that feels unlovable and worthless, insignificant, discontent, and a lack of peace. No purpose. I don't know why I'm here. I'm lonely. I'm aching. And I feel absolutely hopeless. And that drives all kinds of behavior. Do you know that those needs are only met in God alone? And when he finally takes over and control of your heart and you finally surrender everything to him, you start to experience those things that you've always been craving and never could quite find. And God begins to do that in you. And so when Paul is obsessed with Christ in you, there's a reason behind it because Christ in you is what meets every need that you will ever have. May not be every physical need, may not be every... uh, other need, but it is every internal need that you will ever have. Well, let's look a little bit more in depth at what Paul said as a result of the dwelling Christ in you. Here's what Paul said. Let's look a little bit more word by word at some of these things. So here's what Paul said. Because of the grace of God, because of the inner spirit strengthening, because of the indwelling Jesus in you, the indwelling Holy Spirit, he says this, that you being rooted and grounded in love. What does it mean? I want you to note two words here, rooted and grounded. What does it mean to be rooted and grounded? I think right away of an anchor. It's the anchor to my soul. It's the anchor that holds me stationary when life is storming around me. Or I also think of the roots of a tree, a strong tree, a large tree. Maybe it's a large oak tree. Think about the roots of a large oak tree that go deeply into the ground. When the storms blow and the wind is intense, the tree stays standing because the roots run deep. Or when a drought comes and it's, you don't know where the water is going to come from, that roots, those roots, because they run so deep, are able to find water and nourishment. It's what keeps you going in the storms and the pain and the drought of life. We all go through storms and pain and the droughts of life. And we need our roots running deep in order to stand up against the onslaughts that happen. And we will be facing more and more of an onslaught in life against us. There will be more and more pain, more and more drought, more and more turmoil that's coming our way. And our roots have to run deep. And if they don't run deep, you're going to just topple over when the wind blows. So he says that you, I want you to be rooted and grounded, but not in material things, not in in, uh, greedy things, not in your bank account. I want you to be rooted and grounded in love. That's what's gonna keep you solid. When you're rooted and grounded in not just any love, but it's the love that the spirit does within you. Then he goes on to describe this, describe it this way. That you being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend 
with all of the saints, this, this love, the strength to comprehend it. When the Holy Spirit runs my life, I will start to comprehend. That means to understand, and it means to take hold of something and make it my own. That's what it means to comprehend. You make it your own. You can't lean on anybody else. It's, you can't lean on the church, the parents. It's got to be your own love. That's what it means to comprehend. Paul says, I, I want you to be rooted and grounded, and I want you to comprehend. I want you to be overwhelmed with First thing it reminded me of as I was reading through this is number one, I, I think of infinite or, or finite minds trying to grasp an infinite truth of God, which is almost impossible. I thought of the idea of trying to, trying to understand that which is not understandable at all. I thought of what my wife experienced when she went through cancer. Many of you have heard the story. I'm not going to tell you the whole story of her cancer, her, her cancer ordeal. It happened, it happened almost 30 years ago now. It was back in the 90s when this happened. And this cancer ordeal that Jennifer went through, she wound up in the hospital. And she was on chemotherapy. She had several surgeries. In the middle of all of it, the doctors couldn't figure out what was going on. The doctors didn't understand why she still had a fever, why she was not getting any better, why it just seemed like it was going in circles. The doctor basically came into her room, said, I don't know what's going on. We're going to have to take you in for an emergency surgery and try to just open you up and figure out what's going on. Well, that was pretty hard news to hear. It's not the news that you want to hear from a doctor. You want them to hear, you want to hear some kind of hope, but there was no hope in that statement that he had made. I looked over at Jennifer after he left the room, just kind of abruptly, and she was just in tears. And her tears were just running down. And I thought, well, as a husband, I need to somehow fix this problem for her. So I thought, well, what can I do to comfort you? How can I help you? And she wasn't really responsive. She was just crying. I thought, well, how about if I read you something um, would, and I said to her, if I read you something out of the Bible, would that help? And she said, sure. I said, well, what would you like me to read? I, she said, I don't care, just something. And, and so we agreed on that it was the 20th of November that we're going to read Psalm 20. I'll read Psalm 20 to you. I read Psalm 20 to her, and at the end of Psalm 20, and you can go back and look at it yourself, but at the end of it, um, it it's a, it was a psalm just about the love of God. And I looked over at her, and she was just crying even harder, sobbing as I read this. And I thought, uh-oh, that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I made matters worse rather than better. And I said, well, why, why are you crying so, so much harder now? And she said, and she talked about the fact that she felt the presence of God and the love of God at that moment so strongly that if she had had one more ounce of God's love, she couldn't take it. She would just explode. And she was not crying because of fear. She was crying because of being overwhelmed with the love of God. I want you to be overwhelmed with the love of God. And only God can do that in your life. Let's look at what Paul says. He's going to give us four dimensions 
about the love of God. He's going to say the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. I want you to understand these things. So think about it in a mathematical equation. The mathematical equation of the breadth and the length and the height and the depth is the entire dimensions of the cube that we are trying to measure. It is everything that we want to measure. So Paul is going to say this. It's immeasurable, it's unknowable, but let me give you a little bit of a glimpse. Let me tell you how it works. That God loves you to the breadth, the length, and the height, and the depth. Let's look at these a little closer. Here's what he says. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth. Let's stop right there for just a second. What is the breadth? The word breadth is just the word that means width. Paul's saying, I want you to understand the width of God's love. Do you understand the width of God's love? How wide God's love is? What visions, what thoughts come to your mind when you think about the width of God's love? First thing that comes to my mind is him hanging on the cross and his arms stretched out wide, and I think of the width of God's love demonstrated as he hung on the cross. I think of walking up to God like the prodigal son and the father wrapping his arms, throwing his arms around the son. I think of the width of that love just encompassing the son as he walks up to him. You know one of the verses that comes to mind, though, when I think about the width of God's love? It's out of Psalm 103. It says this, For as high as the heavens are above the earth... So great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Do you know I think about that when I think about the width of God's love? The width of God's love is that he takes our transgressions and he removes them as far as the east is from the west. Think about this for a second. In your mind... I want you to remember, what is the biggest, greatest, gravest sin, failure, and mistake you've ever committed? Got it? Thing, that thing in your life that you think, if I could go back, I had a time machine, and I could just change one thing in my life. Not like give myself the sports score so that I could bet on everything, like back to the future stuff. That one mistake that you think, if I could just go back in time, that's the one, that's the moment I would change that. Now, picture that one thing. And maybe you have a hard time coming up with one because maybe there's a few wrapped up in one. But think about that time and think about that just all of a sudden being right there in front of you and like being loaded on a rocket or something and it just launching and launching away. And you see it break through the sky, out of vision, out across the horizon, and it's just gone. And I think of that when I think of this idea that he has removed those transgressions as far as the east is from the west. That's the width of God's love. That God's love for you is a love of forgiveness. A love of helping to restore a love of removal. It's not about you. It's about who God is, the love that God has. But it's not just us specifically. Do you know that the width of God's love is all-encompassing? One of the things that the Jews really messed up on that Paul was kind of even addressing 
is that Jews had, and they still have to this day, a very exclusionary idea of God. Exclusive, I, I mean, exclusive idea of God. What they mean by that is that God is just for us and nobody else. God is for us alone. He came to the Jewish people. He is for us and nobody else. Do you know that Paul contradicts that? He talks about the fact that we are all one. Do you know that there's pictures of this in the Bible? That every nation, every tribe, every race, every tongue, every culture is united as one under Christ. That his width, his net that he casts is wide and he brings in all who will come to him. Not on our terms, but on his terms. Revelation gives this wonderful picture. Revelation chapter 5 and in chapter 7. Look at what it says. John is recording this event that he saw. He says this. And by your blood, that's the blood of Jesus, you, Jesus, ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, and people, and nation. John then goes on to say, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Chapter 7, John writes this, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. A glorious sight a wide sight. You know, sometimes we're, we're, we're discouraged to think that there's just such a few number of people who actually follow the Lord. There's such a few number that will actually be saved. Well, in this picture, we have multitudes who have trusted in him, who are gathered together in a giant worship service. More than anybody can even count, it is so huge. The picture of the width of God's love, the net that is cast wide that he brings all together. The love that he has for us is so wide. But it's not just a wide love. We also have the length of God's love. So we have the breadth, and now we have the length. The length of God's love stretches from eternity past to eternity future. It does not stop. It is never stopped. God was love before the beginning. Before creation, all that existed was God, and he is love, and he was love, and he lived to love. He loved in the Trinity himself, God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the Godhead, loving in that Trinity, uh, in, in that Trinity view, the Godhead. And he created mankind to pour out that love on mankind and so that we would return the love back to him. And he created us for that. And he wants us to love him like that. Do you know that Satan cannot get to God? One of the false beliefs that many people have is that Satan is just like God. Satan is not like God. He is not the brother of God. There is nothing that could be further from the truth. Satan is a created being. Satan is not ever-present. He is not all-powerful. He is not all-knowing. He is a great military strategist, I believe. And he operates on a spiritual level, but he's not God. So he can't get to God. So what do you think the next best thing is if he can't get to God? 
Well, he goes after the hearts of the people that God has created that God loves. And if he can turn a heart away from God, it hurts God. It breaks the heart of God. It grieves God. And so that's why he goes after. God has always been love, and he loves across all time, eternity past to eternity future. The love doesn't stop. It will not stop. It will not ever run out. It, is, it, is, it, it does not have a finite end to it. There will always be the love of God. There has always been the love of God. So think about the length that God went to save us. Right away, again, I think of the cross. The length that God went to save us was that he gave his son to suffer upon the cross. But what about the length that he went to save you individually? Did God go to a length to save you? I've heard some of your stories, and I know he did, that he pursued you, that he came after you. Like one of the sheep that left the fold and ran away, he came pursuing you. And the stories that you have indicate the lengths that God went through in order to save you. Psalm 103, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting, eternity past, to everlasting, eternity future, and it never runs out. And it's on those who fear him, who come to him according to his terms and his righteousness to children's children. That's the length of God's love, the width of it, that he's willing to remove the sins as far as the east is from the west, the length of it, it it's always been and it always will be and it will never run out. What about the height of it? Well, the height of the love of God is the height that he will take you. Do you know that he doesn't leave us as orphans, but he adopts us as his children? Jesus said, where I go, there you will be also. It's not just leaving you here. It is an eternal future that you will have, the heights that you will have seated above in the heavenlies with Christ. That is the height that he will take you. There's an inheritance. There is a future. There is a hope. And there is something greater than we can possibly wrap our brains around and even think about. Some of you have had people in your family who have died, and it's a sad thing. But I want you to know something. If they died and they knew the Lord, do not grieve for them. Because what they are experiencing today is greater than anything we can possibly imagine. No eye has seen, no ear has heard the glories, the riches, the things that they are experiencing. So you can... Be sad for a temporary absence, but know that I will be with them again. But don't grieve for them because what they are experiencing is greater than anything we could possibly imagine. Again, Psalm 103 that I had read earlier, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. It is a high love. It is a wide love, all-encompassing, all-forgiving. It is a long love. It will never end. He'll never turn his back on you. It's a high love. You will be with him in eternity and glory and paradise. And finally, we have the depth of God's love. I want you to think about this with me. What is the depth of God's love? If you think about what is the greatest sacrifice that Jesus made 
we most often think about the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And it was horrific. The, the, the evil that mankind can do and the punishment that Jesus took as the sacrificial lamb, it was horrific. But I want you to know, that's just the tip of the iceberg of the sacrifice that Jesus made. One of the greatest sacrifices, probably the greatest sacrifice that Jesus made is that he left eternity to come here. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. All things were created by him. He was in glory, in paradise, perfection, true love, and he left it all to humble himself and come to this place having nothing in order to die for the sins of the world. The depth of God's love is Jesus coming down for you. He came down to pursue you. That is the depth of his love. Do you know that religion is mankind's attempt to reach God? And so I think I can reach God by being good enough, going to church enough, praying enough, confessing enough, being baptized in the right place, taking communion, giving. I can earn my way to God. That's mankind's attempt to reach up to God. That's called religion. We can't reach him. He is not reachable. So what does he do instead? He comes down to us where you and I are. He comes down to the muck and the mire. He comes down to the pit that we are in in order to rescue us and pull us out. That is the depth of the love of God that he would take upon himself the likeness of sinful man though he himself did not sin. And he would come down out of his heavenly throne in order to rescue us. That's the depth of his love. We have the width. We have the length. We have the height. And we have the depth. It's a love that is unknowable. The love of God, is, it, it's unknowable. But, but when we just get a glimpse of it, it changes us forever. There is absolutely nothing at all, by the way, that can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 28 says, or 38 says, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, when we learn to bask in that kind of love, we experienced 1 John 3, which says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us? that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is it didn't know him. When we start to understand and bask in that love, we can then start to rest in his faithfulness. Psalm 136, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. See, we enjoy relationship. We don't enjoy religion. We're not about religion. We're about a relationship with the almighty God. And only a relational God could love us so much that we can just even barely get a glimpse of 
this breadth and length and height and depth of this love. Someday, we will experience it in full. But I believe right now, if we experience the fullness of his entirety of love, it would probably make us explode. We would probably just blow up. It's so powerful. It is so profound. It is so incredible, the love that God has. And do you know, it's not just love for the world. It's love for you. Have you ever realized that the almighty creator God, the God of the universe, the king of kings and Lord of lords, he loves you. This week, my prayer for you is that you are overwhelmed with the love of God. At some moment this week, something happens in your life that you are just blown away by the fact that God loves me. Would you pray with me? Father, the work of the Spirit in our lives is absolutely exceptional. It's an amazing thing that happens where you love us in a way that we can't even truly wrap our minds around. We try to explain it. Paul tried to explain it. I try to explain it, Lord, but I realize just how inadequate I am at the ability to explain how much you love your creation. You are a God who's motivated by love. You're a God who is motivated by loving this creation, this broken world, Lord. And I believe it does break your heart every time we turn our backs on you and reject you. I pray that we would feel such conviction, Lord, that we would never want to do anything in our power to purposefully hurt you. I pray, Lord, that you would overwhelm us this week. Overwhelm each one of us with that depth of love that you have for us. Maybe it will just drop us to our knees. Maybe it will bring us to tears. And we just realize that the creator, the creator loves me. Even though I've messed up, even though I've done what was wrong, even though I was far away from you, you still loved me. I didn't have to earn my way to you. You came down to me. You met me. You pursued me. And you've changed me from the inside out. Lord, overwhelm us and be with us. Help us, Lord. Protect us as we go out into the world and help us to bring honor and glory to you. Father, thank you for this gathering, this time that we can meet as the church. And I pray, Father, for your blessing, not only here, but across this community, across this country, across this world, Lord, that you would be working in your church. We thank you. We praise you. We, Lord, love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for checking out that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to this ministry, be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week. So thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over the internet. Hey, God bless you guys, and thanks for listening to this message.